Shalom, mishpocha. Shalom, family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family. <laughs> We're the mishpocha, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people, where the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile finally come down to form one new man, one new humanity, getting ready, mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar, the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for Jesus. And I picked up my guest, uh, Dr. Heidi Baker. She's at the airport in Johannesburg, so you'll hear all sorts of sounds going on. But uh, for those that aren't familiar with uh, Dr. Heidi Baker, uh, she is equivalent to a full gospel Mother Teresa. Uh, um, the story, in fact, uh, Heidi, I have an idea. When you hear the story about what you did, you find it hard to believe. Uh, I'm going to take you back to uh, 19 years, 1996. Uh, you, you and your husband are burned out from being missionaries. You gave it everything you had, but um, it just wasn't working. And so you come back. You go to a meeting in Canada at the Toronto Airport Church, and a friend, mutual friend of ours, Randy Clark, is speaking. Uh, what happened? Oh, it was so amazing what happened. I, I um, just the first time I was there, Randy wasn't there, but I was just tired and wanted to quit. And the beautiful thing is that God just healed me. I had double pneumonia, and he healed me supernatural miracle, and I went forward, and then I fell out in the spirit, and I saw Yeshua, and I saw all the beautiful children, and I just said, oh, no, I cried the wrong thing. No, there's too many. I was tired, but I saw his eyes. I saw his beautiful, beautiful eyes, and when I saw his eyes, that was enough for me, the beauty of his eyes, and I saw thousands and thousands and thousands of children and Jesus said I died that there would always be enough and when he said that everything changed everything changed and he took a piece of his body and he broke it and he said feed it to the children and I did that and I just went on for hours just feeding the children and he said there's always enough because I died and then I took this beautiful, um, powerful, beautiful cup that he handed me. And he said, that cup was a cup of suffering and a cup of joy. And without speaking, he asked me if I would drink it. And I just drank it. I drank the cup of suffering and joy. And then, and then, and then, holy, he said, he said, give it to the children. And I wondered how I could give the children a cup like that. But I did. I did give it to the children. And I kept giving it and giving it and giving it to the children. And he said again a second time, I died that there would always be enough. And that's what changed my life. And that happened in, in Canada in 1996. Okay, and uh, history reveals that you went to Mozambique, Africa, uh, and you've started over 10,000 churches, uh, and this is not just in Mozambique, other parts of the world. 
Uh, but uh, what happened to Heidi is the power of God came on her. And Heidi, I understand that for seven days and seven nights, the power of God was so strong on you, you couldn't walk, you couldn't talk, you couldn't move by yourself. Uh, tell me what was going on. Yes. Well, first I want to clarify that our movement, um, our movement has started uh, the 10,000 churches. Roland and I haven't done it by ourselves. We have now hundreds and thousands of, of national workers, and we're all going out just sharing the gospel. So that's the first thing I just want to clarify. We, our movement together, we just move, and God's been multiplying His church. Um, but the thing that happened on those seven days uh, really changed my life because I was so hungry for God, I was so desperate, that um, in the middle of Randy's sermon, this was the second time I was in there in Canada, in the middle of his sermon, I ran up, and that's not like me in the natural. I wouldn't do something like that. I would just be quiet. I would sit on the side, or I wouldn't just run up and disturb. And I ran up, and I just lifted my hands up uh, at the altar right in the middle of his sermon, and he said, God wants to know, do you want the nation of Mozambique? And then he said, the blind will see, the cripple will walk, the deaf will hear, the poor will hear the good news, the dead will be raised. And I just started screaming, yes! And I didn't think about it, because if I had thought about it, I'm sure I would have been a little more hesitant. I, I just cried out, yes! And then uh, the power of God just hit me, and I ended up being, being just the heavy glory of God falling on me, and I was unable to walk in my own power. And that lasted seven days and seven nights. My husband had to carry me into the church and carry me out. Other people would help him. Um, they would pick me up in the morning in a van and have to carry me and lay me on the altar again. And and Jesus spoke to me, and he said, you can do nothing without me. That I thought I knew. But when you cannot move from the neck down, you cannot move at all. You can't even lift up your, your toes. You can't even lift your hands. That, that fact that you can do nothing without Yeshua, nothing without him, it really, really stays in your heart. Now, now you had no grid for this. You had no paradigm for uh, being totally surrendered to God like that seven days, 24 hours a day. Uh, did, did you think maybe you were dying? Yeah, I was scared. It was scary. It was holy. It was beautiful. It was powerful. It was scary. It really was. I didn't know if I'd ever walk again. I didn't know. But I was so undone by the love of God and what I was feeling in the presence and, and what the Lord said to me that I, I just didn't, I was so yielded, I didn't mind. I said, whatever, Lord, I just want to be with you. <laughs> but it was scary. <laughs> it was. Now, it, was this the time that God said to you, you would care for one million children? No, no. I didn't hear that till much later. It's a good thing. <laughs> no, no, I didn't hear that till years later. No, he just he just showed me himself, and um, 
Oh, okay. You have this marvelous prophecy from uh, from uh, a, a person that hears from God, Randy Clark, uh, and he, he says the deaf will hear, the blind will see, uh, the dead will be raised. You get to Mozambique. Uh, did you see many miracles? Not a, not anything. Everything got worse. It, it lasted about a year. Um, we lost every building we had. Um, I prayed for blind people all the time. Nobody saw. Nobody heard. There were no no miracles at all. But I just I just kept on believing. But, but, but wait a second, Heidi. We're, we're, you kept on believing. But between you and me, weren't you a little discouraged? Um, you know what? I was a little bit for a few times, like the first time I prayed for the blind, a bunch thinking they'd see it and nobody saw. And then the Lord said, if you love them and, and if you lead them to me, you haven't failed. And he said, it's my job that came from the Father, my, my little life, to love the one in front of me. And it's his job to heal. So when God showed me that, I thought, well, I've led every single one of these blind and deaf and crippled people to the Lord. I led them all to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So in that sense, it's not a failure. <laughs> tell, tell me the first blind person that was able to see. It was in central Mozambique after a year of praying for the blind with not even a little glimmer of light, nothing. And uh, well, here comes another one, and they're, they're in Mozambique, um, where we've lived for now almost 20 years, they always come the same. It's, it's a person in rags, and somebody's leading them with a stick. So there's this little boy leading an old, skinny woman with a stick, in a, and she came into our little mud hut church, um, and she, here she comes, and I just I started weeping. I said, God, could it be this time? Could it just be this time, please? <laughs> Could it be this time? And I just held her and wept. And um, and she fell in the spirit. She fell out in the spirit. And right before my eyes and everybody in that little mud hut, her eyes turned white, gray, brown. Hmm. And uh, I was more surprised and shocked than anybody. <laughs> I was like, this really happened. I was so excited. And um, she saw, and I asked her, for some reason, I asked her her name. And her name was Mama Ida, which is my name. My, everyone in Mozambique calls me Mama Ida. And so she had my name. And it was the first time I'd ever seen God open blind eyes. Now, was the second any different? Yes, it was very interesting because I was thinking, wow, maybe... Maybe this this gift is really happening now, and I'm going to keep seeing it. And so I, when I got to the gas station to put diesel in my Land Rover, and there was a man there who was blind, and he had a big tumor on his head. And I prayed for him. This was day two. I prayed for him, and he didn't see anything. He saw absolutely nothing. I led him to the Lord. I led his his son to the Lord, who was pushing him in a wheelchair. He was crippled. He had a tumor. He was blind. And the Lord very clearly said, call Dr. Bob. Call Dr. Bob. So 
So I called my friend, Dr. Bob from New York, and I, I said, would you be willing to come to Mozambique and cut a tumor off this man's head? And Dr. Bob, as fast as he could come, which was a few weeks later, came and he cut the tumor off this man's head. And it was a miracle, too. And the next day, um, day two, same day as the gas station day, I prayed for a woman because they heard about the other woman who got healed. I prayed for this woman in a mud hut in, in Dondu, Mozambique. And I laid hands on her, and I just started crying out to her, um, to, to her if she could see. Can you see? Can you see? She started screaming, you're wearing a black shirt. And it turns out she had gone blind at eight years old, and she knew her colors. Wow. And, um, my friend was with me, and my German, German friend, she was very strict, and she said, well, you don't know she's really seeing, because I told her to go outside and go to the ducks. But she said, the ducks are making noise. That's not a good test. And I remember it, really, because I said, okay, go to the bucket then. And she saw the bucket, and she went straight to it. And all the villagers started running out and screaming and yelling and laughing, Mama Ida can see, Mama Ida can see. I started crying. I was undone. I was so excited. Two people in two days could see. Both of them had my name. Uh, I knew God. Isn't that amazing? I'm, I don't think people caught that. They they called you. Uh, they call you in Mozambique, Mama Ida, and the two blind people that got their sight after a year of uh, of just loving people. Uh, both had the same name that you had. I think God's trying to show you something. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and I didn't know what it was. I was just so excited. I didn't know what he was saying. I just knew. These two, and with one man in between that didn't have a miracle, um, but he did have a medical miracle later with a friend that gave him a free surgery, and he loves Jesus to this day. He's in the church. But the day three, then I went to Shamoy, Mozambique, and we were in this old dilapidated building. We were renting to have a meeting, and I was so excited about what had happened with these two blind ladies who had my name. I just cried out um, from the front. Uh, I had the microphone. I said, is anybody blind? Anybody blind? And one woman came up with another little boy leading her by a stick. And here she came. And I was so excited. I hadn't even preached. I hadn't even um, ministered the word yet. I just laid hands on this lady and again in shredded rags and skinny and old and I laid hands on her and she fell out in front of me just fell down and her eyes in front of me in front of everybody in Shimoyu everybody in the building her eyes went white gray brown and I thought I have to ask her name no kidding I've got my German friend next to me she's thinking this is too much She's just shocked. I'm shocked. Everybody's shocked. We never saw God open the blind eyes. Suddenly, they're three in three days. So I said, okay, okay, what's your name? What's your name? And she cries out, Mama Ida. 
No joke. Now that's impossible. I mean, a blind person seeing is impossible. Having the three that you pray for, having the same name as you, that's impossible. Uh, but guess what? You needed to have your faith grow for all that God's called you to do, and God was sure doing that. Yes. <laughs> I, I, was, I was in shock. My German friend, she is such a, a straight, uh, straight woman, you know, and she said, that's not possible. Your name can't be Mom Ida. And she called for the family, and she said, we need to know her real name. What's her real name? And the family was there. And the family said, her name is Mama Ida. <laughs> like, what's your problem? They didn't know about the other two. And then they started throwing her up, up in the air. This old woman who can now see with brown eyes now, they started throwing her in the air saying, Mama Ida can see. Mama Ida can see. And they were dancing and tossing this lady in the air. Mama Ida can see. I'll never forget as long as I live. Uh, you know, Heidi, uh you make the statement, if your dream doesn't seem impossible, it's probably not from God. Well, that means that, uh, I mean, everything you do that I'm reading about is in the impossible level. He's the God of the impossible. Uh, Heidi, tell me, tell me about the time that you had a vision that uh, you would take care of one million children. Yes. Certainly not by myself, <laughs> but I'm a catalyst. I'm a catalyst. Yes, we want to care for a million children, and we want to care for them in homes. We want to educate each one and lead them to the Lord and see that they're fed every day and they have uniforms and they're in school and they love Jesus, no, but uh, Heidi, tell me, uh, Heidi, tell me about the vision you had. Well, I guess I, I started hearing a lot of people would prophesy over me wherever I go, and they'd say, "Your vision's too small. Your vision's too small." So I asked God for a vision, and I felt like He said a, a million children in your lifetime would be cared for through our movement. And I heard him, and I, I thought it was just too much to even, how could I even fathom that? But I really feel like he said it. So, and then, of course, the more prophets came to me and said, your vision's too small, your vision's too small. But for now, it's a, it's a good little start. We'll just keep going with that for now. Now, of course, uh, uh, you're you're at the airport leaving uh, from Johannesburg, and that's why we're Africa. That's why we hear all of this uh, uh, noise going on behind you. But uh, I, when I think about you, I think about a woman living in the dirt, surrounded with babies and children. Uh, how, how many do you and uh, Roland personally take care of? Well, our movement's feeding 12,000 a day. Wow. We believe everybody, every one of us, all our pastors, are to take care of at least one orphan, at least one child that has nobody. Uh, so my husband and I, we raised 15 African children, and now we're raising another another 15. 
Yeah, you know, Heidi, with your busy schedule and everything, I don't know how you and Roland uh, survived having uh, per- personally adopting 15 and then uh, another 15. Uh, but there, there is uh, so many miracles that go on with you. Uh, but tell me about food miracles. Okay. Well, first I want to clarify, we don't have legal documents for the children. We just bring them in and um, we care for them and they grow up and they call us mom and dad. But (laughs) just clarifying that, it's a lot. They're beautiful kids and we love all the kids too. So we, we just want to keep on loving them. Food miracles, they're pretty wonderful. Tell me your favorite one. My favorite food miracle, mm, boy, that's a hard one. I'll probably say just because my attitude wasn't so good and God overrided my attitude, I want to talk about chicken multiplying. <laughs> now, I've heard about bread multiplying, but I've never heard about chicken multiplying. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> I had never heard about it either. But this is this is a a powerful thing that happened. It was a few years back, and it's kind of a funny story because I drove up to our village of Joy, where we were having our graduation for our Bible college, and we also had have a ministry mission school where people come from other countries to be trained in missions. So they were there and. We had pastors and we had um, minister uh, coming to graduate, and and um, the ch- my children ran up to me and they said, "Mama, the foreigners and the pastors ate all the chicken. We don't have any chicken." And back then we only had chicken a couple times a year, so the kids had been anticipating this chicken for probably 24 hours because it takes a long time to cook for we have to feed just on our base 5,000 people a day so these children are smelling this chicken and they're very excited and then the pastors and foreigners had eaten it all and and the children most of the kids hadn't had any chicken so I was a little bit upset and I was thinking that's not nice why don't they think of the kids and I was just my attitude wasn't perfect at all. And I marched into the kitchen and, and I said to the cooks, are you hiding any chicken? Are you hiding any? And they, I forgot the English word, bata, a robe, like their little, their robes they wear, their uniforms. They, they were hiding some chicken um, behind their backs. And I said, please give me that chicken and we're putting it all in a box. And I called all the children. I said, you all sit down. And I asked them, do you have any rice left? Because sometimes we have some rice left over. We have massive pots of rice. And they said, no, all the rice is gone. It's all gone. I said, then what about bread? They said, yes, but it's for tomorrow morning. And I was still a little frustrated that pastors and foreigners had eaten all the chicken. So I said, well, at least the bread's here. We're not having it in the morning. We're going to have it now. And I said, I'll pass out the chicken and you pass out the bread. And 
I mean, there were these children there, and, and some widows were in the back, and I started passing out this chicken out of a one little one little box, like a I don't refresco box, like um the little box you put refresco drinks in, and I was passing it out one piece at a time, one piece at a time. I wasn't looking in the box, just a little box with all these hundreds of kids. And people were in there, and I just kept... Well, well, would you say that the size of the box would hold about maybe three or four pieces of chicken max? No. You know those kind of boxes if you had 24 Coca-Colas? Uh, yeah, right. Okay. Put 24... Like a case. Like a case for 24 Coca-Colas. Okay. Like a case of Coca-Colas. Right. That's the size of the box. I didn't count the chicken... I just okay, but that's uh, how many about how many how many people were eating? I didn't count how many people were eating. Just row after row after row of benches. No way could that box of chicken feed even a tenth of those people. But I was just desperate. My my children were hungry. They were crying. They were pulling on my capolana. I just said, just God, please just do something. And I mean, the last piece of chicken I pulled out of the box was the last old lady, and she got it. Just greasy pieces of chicken, and God multiplied those greasy pieces of chicken. And he fed everybody in, the, in, the, in our refectorio, in our dining hall. He just fed them all. Has this happened often, Heidi, food being multiplied? You know... We, anytime we have, don't have money or we don't have food or it's not there um, or the Lord didn't provide it through our farm, if we're in a situation where there's a, a massive need and we give everything we have and we, we, we're like little, our movement, we're like little, the little boy with the bread and the loaf. We just give everything God puts in our hands. You know, we just give him our little lunch. And if need be, and there's not enough of what we have in the natural, then God makes more. He just does it. And I've often wondered this. As the chicken or the bread or whatever food is being multiplied, uh, do you ever look down and see if it materializes before you, or you just you're just too busy giving? You're too busy giving. I never looked down at it. I never saw it multiply. It just didn't run out. I never saw it, like, m making more in front of my eyes. I just kept looking at the one in front of me. And I, I tell all our people to do the same. Um, my husband's just flown to Malawi. There's an amazing miracle. He's doing a meeting there with all our national leaders and and really, people desperately poor in Bangula, Malawi, with the praise. And over there, when we always tell our, our team, you know, just there's always enough because Jesus died. There's always enough. He rose from the dead. And one time, we've, we've often had famines in Malawi and northern Mozambique, central Mozambique, and we always believe to give whatever the Lord gives us. And we feed people and 
They bring in containers of food. And this precious missionary, Joe Morrison, and uh, his wife, Mo, they were down to their last um, hundred or so bags of beans in the container. And there were way more people that needed to be fed. We're talking, you know, over 10,000 people, desperate. They're ready to die. And Mo said, the Lord told Heidi and Roland, and we're going to believe the same thing. There's always enough because he died. So he told one of our our national leaders, he said, you just go ahead and just give all the beans out. Just give them all out because today those people are standing in front of us. Today is today. And this is the craziest story, really crazy story. And it's really beautiful. They emptied the container of all the beans. They gave out everything they had. And the next day when they opened the container, it was full of beans. I don't know how. I don't know what happened. I just say, thank you, God. Isn't that awesome? It's just, I mean, the things you describe are equivalent to the miracles we read about in the New Testament. And um, But, but I, I have to ask you, I want you to explain to those that are listening, and me too, about the secret place that you go to and the importance of the secret place. Well, if, you, if you're not intimate with Yeshua, you're not intimate with Jesus, it says you can do nothing, absolutely nothing. By nothing, he means nothing. Now, I don't go into the secret place and worship him and love him and bless him so that I will see him do miracles. That's not my point for being with him. My point's never the miracles. Roland's point's never. Our movement isn't focused on the miracles. Our movement and, and all of us are focused on his face. We're in love with him. I'm in love with Jesus. I, I'm passionately, completely in love with him. He's my everything. I love him more than life. That's why it's easy to say I'll give my life because he's my everything. I've, I've seen his eyes. I know his heart. And so I go into the secret place just to be with him, to be with Jesus. Heidi, can you give our listeners uh, some some tips on how to develop this intimacy with God? I mean, it comes natural for you. It comes easy for you. But if you lived in the United States like we do, it's just not so easy. Give us some tips. <laughs> well, you know, the more you spend time with Jesus, the more you yield your life to Holy Spirit and and you let Daddy God just love you with this lavish love, the more you you just fall in love with them. And the other key for me is every day I'm fully present with him. I don't, you know, just say, hi, God, how are you doing? I'm off to do my stuff. I'm present with him. I spend time with him. I engage with him. Any meeting where I'm speaking, I'm fully engaging and worshiping him and loving him. And then I'm fully engaged with who's ever in front of me. Uh, so I'm full, 
fully press against the Holy Spirit. And then when I step out and I see the one in front of me, then I want to be with them. And I'm asking Holy Spirit, I'm asking Jesus about them. And I so because I'm stopping for the one in front of me every day, like yesterday, my day started, I was with the governor of Pemba, Mozambique. So I was fully present with the governor. I was present with him in his office, with his cabinet, in all the um, environment of being with the governor. And then I was going to visit a little village where they built me a mud hut. And I'm fully, I'm getting there on our boat and I'm with my children and we're going to see our, our village friends and just spend time discipling them and loving them. And when I get there, I'm fully present with each one of them in front of me. And I'm asking Jesus for for what he has for them. I'm asking the Lord in, in intercession before I even go to the governor, what is it, Lord? What are you asking? How can I connect? What are you saying? And and as I'm connecting with, with the Lord, I'm connecting with his love, then I feel like he gives me enough love for the one in front of me. So my secret is the secret place, and my secret is staying poor in spirit. I am a desperate little woman. I'm a desperate, desperate little woman. I'm desperate for God. You, you use the term lavish love. What does that mean to you? Yeah. What, what does that mean? It, it says in First John, Behold the lavish love, the Father's lavished on you, that we should become the children of God. And that is who we are. And the world doesn't know, the world doesn't understand it, but we are the children of God. And that's lavish love, that, that Daddy God would call His only begotten Son to come down here to be born on this earth in Israel, to be born on this earth and and come like a baby and be desperate and be nursed at his mother's breast, that he would send his son into this crazy world and say, I love you lavishly. I love you so much. With everything within me, I love you. As human beings, I love you. I'm so in love with you. I'm going to send my son to die for you. I'm going to send him to live for you, to show you what it looks like to love, and I'm going to send him to die for you, to pay for your sins. I mean, what kind of love is that? What kind of God would so pour out everything upon us that he would give his own son? It's so lavish. It's so extravagant. It's so... It's just so glorious. Our only response to that kind of love is, is here am I, Lord. Take me. Send me. Send me, Daddy God. Send me, Jesus. Send me, Holy Spirit. Here I am. I just want to bring you, Jesus. I want to bring you, Yeshua, the reward of your suffering. I want to connect each one in this world with the love of the Father, the lavish love of the Father that takes away our orphan spirit. You see, God doesn't just 
call people, children that I work with that have lost their moms and dads and children in rags and children in bloated bellies. He's not just after them only. He's after every human being on the planet. Every human being on the planet is created in the image of God. And if they don't know Yeshua, they don't know Jesus, they're an orphan. They're an orphan. And the lavish love of the Father calls back through us, his little people, his little lovers, his little children. We, each one of us, every day, stop for the one, stop for the one, and call them to the Father, call them into the home of the Father. That's what we're all created for. Heidi, tell me how this plays out with gangs. How it plays out with gangs? Well, I started on the street with gangs. I worked with gangs in Hong Kong and gangs in London and gangs in Mozambique. It works out the same way with gangs as it works out with Ivy Leaguers. It works out the same way with gangs as it works out with children in shredded rags. It works out with gangs the same way it works out with kings in palaces. It's always, always taking the love that Father put on you. Walking in there, see perfect love, cast out fear. The more you understand who you are, because Daddy God loves you, you're not afraid to die because you know where you're going. So how can you be afraid to die? So you're already set there, and you just say, come on. Daddy God, I'm going to step on your feet. Where are we going today? If we're going in the middle of a gang, I'll tell you a story. It'll make it a little clearer. One day, I was in the street in Mozambique, and um, there was a gang, and they were fighting, and they had knives, and they had guns. And I knew the Lord told me, just go right in the middle of them while they're fighting. And and I went right in the middle of them, and I said, Heidi, oh. Heidi, you're, you're just a little woman. How do you walk in the middle of people fighting with knives? Are you a little mishuka? That's a Hebrew word for crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I've lost my mind to gain his. I am. I'm crazy for him. <laughs> I'm totally crazy for him. And I heard him say, go in the middle of them. So I did. I went right in the middle. I said, you boys, stop it right now. And they dropped their knives and their guns right in front of me. And they said, sorry, Mama. That's what they said. Sorry, Mama. And they stopped fighting. <laughs> See, the love cast out fear. I'm also not very threatening looking. I'm about 5'3". I'm a little woman. I just like to hug people. And I just like to love on people so you know, what could they do? What could those, boy, those boys do? <laughs> uh, tell, tell me about the time that the police uh, arrested you. Oh, there have been a few times. <laughs> tell me one. One would you like? Uh, uh, the one, one where the men with guns and they were going to take you to jail. Uh, oh, they did take me to jail. <laughs> I was uh, just on the street, you know, loving on the girls that are selling their bodies and loving on the street kids. And, you know, I always bring them home. Um, back then, we didn't have laws that you couldn't bring them home. So we could just go and fill up our truck with children 
that were sleeping on the streets and abandoned and in little gangs. Now we have to work through the government and social welfare and everything changed. But back then, for about 10 years, we could just bring children home. So that's what I did. I just fill up my truck every week with children and give them a home. So I was out there just with with some of my little girls, and we were sharing the gospel with the older girls and some of the younger girls, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls that were selling their bodies so they could eat. And um, we we're sharing with the street kids and just feeding them, you know, soup and bread and just loving all these kids. And um, a truck pulled up with some police and they pointed AK-47 rifles, you know, those machine guns, just pointed them at my head. And my little girls, I had, a, I can't remember, maybe eight girls with me, usually bring about eight so we could fit more in our Land Rover or our truck to come home. And um, so we were there and these men, policemen, stuck these machine guns at my head and they said, Mama Ida, get in the truck. And I said, I'm not going in your truck. They said, you get in our truck right now. We're taking you to jail. And they screamed at me and pointed a machine gun at my head. And I burst out laughing. I burst out laughing, which they did not appreciate. <laughs> but imagine it. Okay, think of this. Dear brother Sid, think of this. I'm there on the street. I'm not a tall woman. I'm not a big woman. I'm walking down the street, spending time with street children, and I've got about eight girls who already live with me with me. This is my night with the girls. One week I take the boys, one week I take the girls. Imagine the sight of a, of a, a little four-by-four four truck with, with policemen sticking machine guns at my head. It was hilarious. I thought, how many of you does it take to scare me or threaten me. I'm a little woman here with my girls. And it just struck me as funny. And I just laughed my little head off. And, and they, they said, you get in this truck right now. And my girls started crying. They said, you, you stop that. And they were crying. They were very nervous. And police used to shoot at us. You know, they'd shoot up in the air to scare us. And the girls were scared. And I said, listen, sirs, I will walk to the police station, but I'm not getting in your truck because I won't fit in your truck with all my girls and you're scaring them. So we started walking to the police station and singing songs, and we started singing these songs about how good God is and how beautiful and come Holy Spirit and I got to that police station, and they grabbed me roughly, and they threw me in a room, and my little girls were left outside. No room, no ride home. They're just left outside. And um, all the street kids and the, some of the gang leaders and some of these girls that are selling themselves, they all of them, hundreds of them, they came outside of the jail, and they started to screaming, let mama go. <laughs> I can picture that. <laughs> That's what they did. Until the police chief, he said, you go ahead. You go ahead. We don't know why these kids.
kids are saying you're their mom. I said, because I am their mom and I love them. And he said, well, you just go and come back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. And that's what happened. I, I went back at 8 o'clock. And long story short, I, I was a little early, and the Holy Spirit told me to wait. And I went in exactly 8. police chief had gone on another trip. And so he was gone, and a man named Noah, a man named Noah, said he was the one interviewing me. He was going to... He said, we're putting you in jail. You can't be on the street. We'll be responsible when you're killed, and we'll be in trouble with the embassy. And I just laughed. I said, Noah, could I just talk to you about your name? And Holy Spirit dropped in on that man. Holy Spirit just came into the police man's office, and Holy Spirit convicted him of his sins. We were having floods at that time. And I told him about his name and what it meant and who he was. And I said, Noah, you're not going to put me in jail. You're going to give me a document allowing um, me and all of our children to come to the jail and share the gospel. And you know what? What? That's exactly what happened. And since then, we've been sharing the gospel in jails all over Mozambique. We even have a Bible college in jail in Pemba, Mozambique. We have a Bible college in Miezi, Cabo Delgado, a Bible college in prison. Come on, Jesus. Now, you know, this lavish love really works, doesn't it, Heidi? It's God's love. He's beautiful. Now, now I, I, I want to tell everyone that's been listening to us, and we started out, you were in the uh, Johannesburg airport, so I, I pray you kept with us listening to us. But Heidi has a brand new book, Birthing the Miraculous, and this is what I'll tell you. It'll cut years off of your walk with the Lord. It'll speed it up to get to the point. I mean, because Jesus is coming back soon. That's what he told me in a dream. He said, I'm coming back soon. And as a result of that, you don't have those years to wander in a circle like my relatives did in 40 years in, in the desert. Uh, God wants to speed things up for you. And that's what this book, Birthing the Miraculous, is going to do. And then I love your brand new devotional book. It's called Reckless Devotion. And in this book, it's 365 days into the heart of this extravagant, lavish, radical love that Heidi's been talking about. Each day, you're going to have a devotional. And then a two-CD set. It's, uh, and I'll tell you, I listened to these two CDs, uh, and it, it will, Heidi likes to use a phrase, it'll wreck you. It will wreck you, but it'll make you normal. Normal is defined by the Bible. So we're making the brand new book, the devotional, 365 Days into the Heart of Radical Love, and the two-CD set available for a gift of $40. But you know, Heidi, when you talk about lavish love, I have to, I have to believe that that's what's pushing me to what we do in Israel. In Israel, most people don't know this, we are on 28 times a week on secular and Christian television 
in Israel right now as as they're listening to us. I mean, it's beyond my comprehension. And the only way we can get on TV like that is, number one, it has to be God. <laughs> it's like Heidi says, it's got to be so big you can't do it yourself. And, and, uh, and number two, timing is everything. This is God's moment for Israel. This is God's moment to remove the spiritual scales from the eyes of thousands, multitudes of Jewish people. And, and we also have the program for the Arab countries. Uh, we're in uh, countries like Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, uh, Ukraine. I mean, it's wild what God has done with our ministry. And when you purchase a product or give a gift for a product, you're not just uh, going to a computer place and, and buying a book or a bookstore. No, your money is being planted in reaching souls. And Heidi would say what God says, he who wins souls is wise. And I'm going to tell you something that at this moment in history, I don't understand it totally. Paul went a little, was a little besides himself when, when in uh, the book of Ephesians, he's talking about the one new man. He says the whole reason Jesus came was to break down this separation between Jews and Gentiles. And that's exactly what he's doing right now. But this, it's not an ecumenical thing. It's one in Messiah, world of difference. And so, Heidi, you have a great love for Israel. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> Well, I uh, absolutely am undone with Israel and our whole movement, all of our churches. We pray for Israel every day. Our, I had a vision of fire from South Africa all the way into Jerusalem. And our movement, we say, Ate Jerusalem, Ate Jerusalem. We pray in all of our little churches, all of our big churches, in all of our churches, every day we pray for Israel. We pray for the people. We, I had a vision behind a veil in Israel. I was at a, at a prayer gathering, and the Lord said, just stay hidden behind this veil. And, and I, I stood, and I listened to the Lord. I didn't want to be in the—I didn't want to speak. I didn't want to get up. I just— I just stayed behind the veil, and I started weeping and weeping when the Lord asked me a question. He said, first, he thanked me, which blew my mind. When when you hear God thank you for something, it's like, how on earth could that happen? But, but he did. The Father, Father said, thank you for taking in all those orphan children. Thank you for feeding them and clothing them. And I mean, I was sobbing. I was like, how could God say thank you to, to a, a little person? It just it just wrecked me. I was, I was sobbing my guts out. And then he said, how would you feel if your own natural-born children, Elisha and Crystalline, my two toe-headed blonde children, he said, how would you feel if they did not know me? And I said, I, I couldn't stand it. I said, I, I couldn't. If my own natural-born children didn't know you, Jesus, if they didn't know you, Father, if they didn't know you, Holy Spirit, I said, I, I couldn't. I don't know what I'd do. I said, I'd do anything. I'd, If I had to throw myself in front of a bus to save them, I would do it. 
I said, I'd do anything for them. I would go anywhere. I'd do anything. I couldn't stand it. I, I said, I couldn't survive if, if my children, my own children, didn't love you. He said, that's how I feel about my lost children, my lost children in Israel. That's how I feel about my lost children in Israel. And, and he broke my heart for the lost Israeli bride. He broke my heart. I, I must have been eight, ten hours on my face just interceding. I groaned with deep, deep groaning, and, and I finally understood in a way that I never, ever could before God's, Daddy God's heart for his lost children in Israel. So I'm, I'm with you. Dear brother uh, Sid, I'm I'm with you. We're our movements with you. We're we're crying out for the lost children in Israel to come home to the Father. Yeah, you know what? I believe that if you pray a prayer right now for people to have the heart that you have for the Jew in Israel, uh, and pray for the salvation of Israel right now, would you do that, Heidi? Yes. Yes, Lord. Oh, Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. Come, precious God. Lord God, would you just show, Daddy God, would you show believers all over the planet who, who, who the Jewish people are, God? Would you wake them up? Would you take the scales off of believers, believers, Christians all over the world? Would you take the scales off their eyes? Would you show them what the Jewish people mean to you? Would you show them what Israeli children mean to you, God? Would you show them, Daddy God? Would you show them Yeshua? You would just show them who these people are, who these children are, your children, your children, your chosen people, the ones you chose, Lord, the ones you chose, the one you picked, Lord, the ones you picked, the ones you love, God. Would you show them, Lord? Would you show them what a privilege it is that they're grafted in? May they never forget to natural born. May they never forget to Jewish people, God. May they see them how you see them, God. I pray for a revelation, Lord, a revelation of your heart for the Jewish people, Lord, for your people that already know you, Jesus. Let them know those in Israel who don't know you. And God, I cry out, God. I cry out for to the people of Israel. I cry out for your lost sons and daughters. God, I cry out, Daddy God. I cry out, Yeshua God. Bring them home. Bring them home to the Father. Bring them home to the Father. Let them know the beauty of your love, God. Don't let them perish, God. Don't let them perish without knowing Yeshua, without knowing their Messiah. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you flood Israel, God? Would you wake them up and shake them up, God, even through the turmoil, Lord? Let their eyes be open 
been done. May their eyes be open, Lord. Protect them, Lord, from the missiles and the bombs. Protect them, Lord, from the enemy. Protect them from everyone that would try to take away that which is their birthright, God. Their land, Lord. Their their land, Lord. Their birthright, God. Their nation, God. Rise up a holy fire, Lord, like it says in Zechariah. You said, Lord, you said, Lord, we call upon what you said. I will be a wall of fire around about Jerusalem, says the Lord, and the glory within. Shake out of us from the day. We cry for the wall of fire to rise up around to Jerusalem. Shake out of us from the day. We cry out for the wall of fire around about Israel, God. We cry out for the, for the glory within her, Lord. Reveal yourself, Lord. Reveal yourself. Use your people, God. Use your people. People. Use your 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 believers, Lord, in the land to rise up and love like you love, God, and to reach out, reach out and move in signs and wonders and miracles and radical love. Thank you, Yeshua Yamashiach. We glorify your name. We glorify your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Psalm one twenty two six says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Thou shalt prosper that love thee. Isn't that amazing, Heidi? God says, if you will pray for the peace, and the only peace in Jerusalem will not be uh, what the world is orchestrating. It will only be the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, Yeshua HaMashiach Tzikinu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness. To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.